The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now it's time for our Friday Forum. We look back at the stories that captured our attention this week and, of course, dominated by Pascal Donoghue's Postergate affair, uh, anti-immigration protests and a rally in solidarity with those who are seeking protection here, the prospect of free GP care and how much it might cost, and, of course, uh, the welcome return of the Doyle. Joining me now, Finnegal TD for Dublin Bay North, Richard Bruton, uh, Sinn Féin Health Spokesperson David Cullinan and Alice Leahy of the Alice Leahy Trust. Good morning and welcome uh, to you all. Uh, the the story that uh, Roderick O'Gorman is saying that some people looking for international protection here might end up on the streets. That's not good to hear, to read about or to propagate. No, it's a very, it is a very, very difficult situation. I think we will need the support of everyone to manage the, you know, the pressures that have come, you know, particularly from Putin's Ukraine war. The situation, as I understand it, is City West is close to, to full. He has achieved six and a half thousand extra beds over the Christmas period but uh, the next few weeks are going to be very very difficult because hotels uh, taking back some of the beds so I suppose he, he is you know underlining the the scale of the challenge and I suppose we we need to see more um, people coming forward with opportunities the local authorities are have a, a key role to play uh, Now Liam Edward this morning uh, advisor to the Red Cross said the problem is really being caused by the excessive numbers of over previous years of international protection seekers not by the Ukrainians well, I don't think the numbers would stack up on that. Um, I think the, the numbers that uh, Roderick, that I heard during the week, I think he, he said 75,000 uh, Ukrainians have come in in the last year. 13,000 uh, have come in um, seeking international protection other than from Ukraine. Um, so clearly the, the scale is, is yeah. dominated but, but by But Ukrainians are entitled to all sorts of things here. They can go into work if they want to. Many of them are families who, which might be easier to accommodate. I mean, you can't accommodate four young men, say, from Somalia in uh, a holiday let, for example. No, but... That the, would not be appropriate. No, but the government has had to accommodate 80, 80% roughly of those who've come in from Ukraine. So the government has that on, on top of, you know, what would normally we, be international we, we a bit ambushed by all of this. Uh, Richard, because we knew that the hotel contracts would be running out and that they've got weddings booked in and tourists booked in and so on. Uh, And yet, you know, two months before this is about to happen, we're scrambling for accommodation. Well, it has been a scramble throughout. I mean, the six and a half thousand beds were acquired over the Christmas period and that took huge effort by lots of people. There is now, you know, the modular programme coming through. Uh, there will be there are three phases of that, five different locations. Um, you, there, there is a, a whole work by local authorities seeking to find buildings that can be repurposed. And what about monasteries and convents, which one of our listeners suggested should be almost the first port of call? Yeah, you know, they would have plumbing and heating and lighting and so on. Well, the local, my understanding is the local authorities are looking to all of those sort of opportunities in their own area and that that is a key part of it. But they have to, you know, find those and then turn them into a, a situation <coughs> where they're fit to be used. Yeah. David? Well, I don't believe that we can say we were ambushed or the government were ambushed. Uh, At the start of the war, the government were talking about 150,000 Ukrainian refugees coming here. It's less than half of that and already we're at crisis point. 
I believe very early on there was a failure to plan. Uh, we came to local authorities very late on. The Irish Refugee Council, for example, have for the last number of months and for a long time been screaming at the government to use holiday homes. We have tens of thousands of holiday homes and have a much more coordinated response to try and source as much uh, accommodation as we can. Now, how is- would you go about doing that? I mean, holiday homes are people's private property. They presumably want to take holidays themselves in those homes or even let them to third parties. Uh, How would you go about organising that kind of uh, trawl of holiday homes? Like uh, hotels and like uh, homes where people open their homes, Pat, you have to put the offer out. You have to put a plan in place. You have to make sure that all of the agencies are working in a coordinated way. Uh, This is a real crisis because we have international obligations here. We have people who are fleeing war. We have to do everything possible to ensure that we can properly support them. I think it would be intolerable if it came to pass that we had people fleeing war from the Ukraine or any other country sleeping rough. We have far too many people who are who are already homeless. And I think that would be an intolerable situation. So this was a failure to plan. More can be done. And I think all of those stakeholders, like the Irish Refugee Council, should be at the heart of what's happening. Okay. We should listen to them and we should act on their recommendations. Alice Lee, what, what is your response to what you've heard from Roderick O'Gorman? Um, well, I, I think it's the whole thing. It is a crisis and I think it, there is lack of planning. Uh, I think it's disturbing that we are talking about warehousing people. And I think we're categorising people as if those from Somalia are different from those from Ukraine or different from our own people who are sleeping. The reality is they are people who are in our country. Uh, we haven't planned. There's no real discussion taking place. And then that is why I think we have so many people objecting to things. And, and people have are being drawn into far right or far left without any reasonable debate taking place. And I do think it has to take place. I mean, in the area I'm working in, we have people who have come here from Eastern Europe who are sleeping on the streets. We had two men in with us the other day who were seven years here in Ireland working, couldn't get accommodation, sleeping on the streets. And they were walking out to the airport just two minutes away from here uh, to get a plane back where their family had sent them the ticket to go back. So we, all of that is happening. And I think the DRHE, to give them credit, and I would be the first to complain if they weren't, I think they've been working so hard to try and get accommodation for people who are already homeless here and have been homeless for years. So there is no joined up thinking. There is no place where the silent majority uh, can express their views, except maybe on a programme like this. What do you think, though, is the view of the silent majority? Well, I think people have people uh, to me. People have expressed to me their concern. Uh, for instance, we've had the far right uh, campaigning out in Ballyfermot and places like that. And I know Vincent Jackson to be a very reasonable, community kind man who was targeted by the far right. But the problem is if. Uh, but people have very real concerns. If you can't get a GP, if you can't get your children into school, uh, if you uh, all of those issues and there is no planning and a lot of it's a bit like what happened with homeless people in the past. We closed the psychiatric hospitals. We said we will get people out in the community and they'll be cared for. This has never materialised. And then, of course, they shut down bedsits, shut maybe down. for good reasons of fire safety yeah, and all. But, they shut but down. still, it rendered many people homeless. It did. It ren- they shut down. And, and also, I can clearly remember in the 80s, everyone was going off to Brussels. Uh, they all came back as experts writing a paper and having a conference. They've all disappeared now and we still have the same problems. 
All right, Richard, that that question of having an open and honest discussion. I mean, if we can't cater for the numbers that have come in, be they seeking international protection from places like Somalia and unlikely places, perhaps like uh, Albania and Georgia, if we can't cope, well, we should have an honest conversation and say we cannot cope. And is that what Rodrigo Gorman is really saying? We cannot cope. Well, I think Roderick and and other ministers have said, you know, there is clearly a right to international protection. We are in a war situation where people are being driven from their homes by the action of, of Putin. We are doing our very best. And he and the cabinet committee of all the various ministers are doing their best to plan a response to this. But, you know, this is a, a storm we're trying to plan within. Like a lot of what... But it, talk is it the case, Richard? No, seriously, because a lot of what people talk about is good planning. And yeah, is, but one of the issues is that this is a war, but it doesn't really impact on us. Besides fuel prices and inflation, it doesn't really impact on us. If you go back to World War Two, where all of Europe was pretty much convulsed by that war and people had a sense of the disaster. Often it's impossible to sense the reality of the disaster for Ukraine at this remove on the western tip of Europe. Don't we don't feel it. So but therefore, we see it maybe every day on our, our on our, our televisions, the impact the buildings. But, but we don't feel it. People. We don't feel it no, in no, the way other crises might have been felt. That is, it's true. We don't, but we do know that there's you know millions of people fleeing Ukraine, and you know talking about consultation with people in advance, making sure all the wraparound services are are there to meet when people arrive. In a, in a perfect world, you would do that. You would have you know, weeks of planning and discussing of the next place you're going to open. But you know, this is trying to plan in a storm. So okay, there's David, a lot of choice. David, in, in the ideal world, you do all the things that you're recommending, but this was not an ideal world. It was a crisis and a very sudden one as it happened. Pat, it's complex, it's difficult, it's challenging. I'm not saying it isn't. It's really difficult. It's a huge scale that we have to meet and a huge challenge of tens of thousands of people coming here looking for help. My experience of the silent majority is that people are decent in this country. They want to help and they want to know when people come here that we can do absolutely everything possible to support them. There are reasonable questions being asked about capacity in healthcare, in housing and so on. These were issues, Pat, which existed long before anybody from the Ukraine came. We had a housing crisis. We had challenges Mm. in healthcare. Obviously, we have to deal with all of those issues. And I think it's reasonable when communities say we don't have resources. But what I would say is to those people then who are angry about the lack of resources, channel that in the appropriate way. We have the Raise the Roof, for example, campaign in relation to housing. There's lots of ways in which people can protest in relation to demanding better resources. Uh, but we have to be welcoming and we have to do what we can okay, to support but, uh, those Okay, but again, that point of crisis, war. I'll come to Alice on this in a moment, the, the fact that we don't uh, viscerally feel the crisis uh, that the Ukrainians themselves are feeling and other people fleeing from war-torn areas means that maybe people are less willing to make more sacrifices, you know, that they will have longer waiting times, that things might get a bit crowded in the classroom and so on and so forth. In other words, this is war. This is what happens and we've got to make But I think it's important Pat, that we don't exaggerate the consequences of people coming here in terms of its impact on public services because for people in my constituency for example who can't get a house who can't get a home who are victims of the housing crisis they were victims of a housing crisis long before we had anybody coming from the Ukraine. Alice? 
Well, well, of course, David is is right there, but we do have real problems, and I think Irish people are very generous and very kind. And so many people, we all, we would all know of people from generations past who went to America, who did very well, who were cared for, um, and this did come out of the blue. And it is a huge number of people coming to our country. But I still, David has said about uh, people protesting. Often, protest is hijacked by political parties or extreme right or extreme left. So it is, I think, how do we have some kind of reasoned uh, discussion because discussion has to take place. Well, the Raise the Roof campaign is a campaign of political yeah, parties who are progressive but I'm also part of, of trade unions, of community yeah. groups. Yeah. So I, what my point is that people need to channel whatever anger and frustration they have do they, at the lack do of resources. They channel it? Do they channel it through their politicians? Do they, who is listening? To be fair to Roger O'Gorman, he has responded in a very compassionate way to this challenge. He's put more, he's 50 million announced there recently for supports in the communities who are having, uh, you know, extra refugees. The, the, the system of the education is an open door. It's supporting all schools who are taking in children. Like every, everything is being done across the state to try and make this as easy as possible but it's still extremely difficult and very hard for communities and that's the reality And and that's the problem I think and I I do think the Minister and and people in government are Mm. trying to do their best but how long is a piece of string how far can this go before it becomes even a bigger crisis But you're saying be open and talk about this rather than uh, push people into the arms of the far right And often people who are raising very legitimate I mean how come a lot of of the, the centres are placed in areas where there are already struggling communities, you know, who decides where they go? And if there isn't proper planning and discussion and an acknowledgement that this is a problem for all of us. Yeah, I don't think in the present climate there is the time to make choices about, you know, well, different I think areas. I think we make uh, choices. But people, it, it is a mad scramble to try and get accommodation wherever it's available. I think that's like, I don't think... Is, there, is there an issue, by the way, about single males coming in numbers seeking international mm-hmm. protection you know who should be able to work for a living there's plenty of work mm-hmm. around we don't have maybe the visas to allow them to do that but you're wondering why did all these young lads make their way to Little Ireland from Albania or Georgia these are the and two countries most frequently would mentioned I agree with you and that is the question a lot but of I'm just wondering why, why do they choose us David do you have a view on that how many young Irish men left Ireland to go and work in Britain to go and work in America. My grandfather left his family and worked. Is that, would you see a direct comparison that that's really what's going on and that in time they get settled, they get work, they bring their families. Is that the idea? In your your question, because in my view, people who are coming here have to go through a process. There are issues in relation to the immigration process itself, by the way, because it's too cumbersome. It takes too long. It needs to be more robust. It needs to be shortened. It needs to be resourced. We need a human rights compliant uh, immigration system. People obviously then have to go through that process that takes far too long my view is the vast majority of people who come here come here for genuine reasons and they want to work and they want to contribute and then there is a difficulty and a challenge then yes in relation to capacity yeah, but and uh, really what I was talking about when you've got lots of mm-hmm. single men arriving and we saw the, the trouble down in Killarney in the Killarney Hotel mm-hmm. and so on is that a recipe that kind of mix you know you, the process is being the pro- process is being managed as best they can I mean they are introducing a fast uh, processing for countries from safe origin you know countries but an individual still has to has a right to apply for, uh, you know, for refuge. 
because they have even in countries that might be regarded as safe, they could be LGBT persecuted for all sorts of reasons. So there is still a right, but you can have a fast process and that is being introduced and deportations, obviously, which were suspended during the period of COVID. They have resumed. There's been 500 deportations since September. So the process is, is we're trying to make that much more efficient. We we want to move on to the other big story of the week. And it's interesting at a time when we're about to write a cheque, blank or otherwise, for up to two and a half billion for restoring apartment blocks that were built badly by developers in the, the boom times. We're squabbling in Doyle about Pascal Dunhoo and what he did or didn't do when he was sticking up posters. It's not squabbling in my view, Pat. There are genuine questions which are being asked. Uh, This is not a controversy of my making or Sinn Féin's making or the opposition's making. This is a controversy of Pascal Donoghue's making. We have in this state laws in relation to election spending, which the Oireachtas have signed up to. The minister responsible for overseeing those laws was Pascal Donoghue. And the amount is almost immaterial. And the issue is almost immaterial, whether or not somebody is compliant with the law and the rules, which they themselves are the minister responsible for. This was brought to Pascal's attention in 2017, again 2018, 2019. The questions weren't answered. Eventually, he put his hand up last week in the doll and said, I made a mistake. But his story simply doesn't stack up. He was asked to come in and answer questions from Oireachtas members on Wednesday. He didn't do it. He gave a statement. We had statements then from the opposition. He now has to come back again next week. That's entirely of his own making. It's not of our making. And reasonable questions were asked by our spokesperson, Pierce Doherty, in relation to did uh, the same individual Michael provide Stone. a service in 2020. That question still hasn't been answered. All right. And Richard, what do you make of this? Because it seems like he, you know, he's coming in to make a second statement, which means that it runs and runs and runs until next week when he thought, and we all thought, he'd kind of put it to bed. Yeah, right. I think, to be fair, Pascal has admitted that he was wrong and he's apologised and he is saying he is fully complying with the investigation that has been set up by SIPO. And I think that is is the right way to deal with this. But why is he making a second statement? Because, as I understand it, new questions were raised, as as, as um, David has said. he The issue was in relation to the 2016 questions were raised that he has to now go back and examine the records of the 2020 election to make sure that he is fully in a position to answer the new questions that are being raised. But what I feel is the opposition want to be the, the prosecutor, the judge, jury and the executioner. And you only have to listen to the language they use in, in describing uh, what has happened to see that you know they have prejudged this. Their, their aim is to inflict mac- maximum damage and maybe that's the adversarial type of politics we have. That's what, what they're doing. But I think we still have decided SIPO is the agency for deciding, you know, ethics in public office and we have an investigation and that should should proceed. OK, well, we've as chapter two of Pascal's uh, declaration to come next week. Uh, but in the meantime, Alice, what do you make of it? Well, who would want to be in politics? I must say I, I was disappointed because I think Pascal has always come across as respecting his colleagues in the doll, not in getting involved in any squabbling, even though David might think that there is no squabbling in the doll. I do think there is. And I think he has represented it as well in Europe. I wonder if this is just the tip of the iceberg, because you will now have other politicians where something will come out. And I think this is going to go on and on. Um, as I said, I was sorry to hear it, but I think the same laws should be there for everyone in opposition or in power. 
the fundamental question is, uh, how do you actually know you're you're depending on people actually admitting themselves? Did I buy a rake of pints for the people who volunteered to put up my posters? And is it going should to that be counted? Should we be well, calculated? I don't think that's the question at all. Well, I think no, but you know what I mean. If, I don't if, believe we're getting to that point at all. With respect. Oh, I hope not. No, and with respect, and this, I hope not. as I said, this was entirely of Pascal's making. So what we had here was a disclosure that wasn't made. And then we had a story that was concocted, as far as we can see, that just doesn't stack up. So very reasonable questions, not just from Sinn Féin, but from others in opposition were asked. And I thought that Pascal was uncomfortable. He now has to come back into the doll again. If he were the minister responsible for overseeing SIPO laws to ensure, because we put these rules in place for a reason, to ensure that we have maximum probity and accountability when it comes to elections and the spending of money and the raising of money. So if a mistake was made, people can put their hands yeah. up and say but mistake I'm, I'm was wondering, made. I'm wondering, you know, the, the glass houses but are throwing stones. But if you concoct a story, that's with, a different with matter. With Mary Lou and Jonathan Dowdall, a man who's, you know, you... <laughs> whose past, shall we say, and indeed his present, is surrounded in criminality. And th- the way she treated that was somewhat uh, maybe double I, standard. I, no, I don't believe so. And I would have preferred if Jonathan Dowdle was never in Sinn Féin, Pat, as you... But I remember I, she I was asked, was she going to give the money back? Mm, and she said a, no. But that's a separate matter because Sinn Féin is fully compliant with SIPO and trying to raise other issues to take deflect away from this issue here is exactly that. So a party that's fully compliant is not in question. What's in Richard? question here is well, Pascal Donoghue. We've seen and Sinn Féin have themselves admitted that they failed to meet uh, to meet requirements under the SIPO law in declarations. We've seen individual deputies you know, who failed in other respects of, uh, of law. So you know, mistakes are made and you know, in most cases these are genuine mistakes that were made and you know, Sinn Féin you know, is saying their defence is these were genuine mistakes. Mm-hmm. Pascal's defence is that you know, he did not know that this was being paid for. 2017. He, he, you've decided that his, yeah, his, what fact. he said is concocted. You've made your decision. As I say, you want to be the prosecutor and the executioner. Because that's, the rules, that's, the that's, rules are clear. Uh, the Richard. rules are not clear. It is up to SIPO to decide whether these the, are the corporate rules are or clear. personal The rules donations. are clear in relation to a donation. I'll leave the last words of this debate I'm not aligned to any political party, but I would have to say no matter what the party, the party is made up of individuals. And so that makes up the party. So there may, may well be individuals in any party or independents who will now be looking at maybe they did forget something. Maybe they were so busy doing something that they forgot something. So there is a place for human error. But on that note, I would say I'm not aligned to any political All right. <laughs> Peace reigns. Thank you very much, uh, Alice Leahy of the Alice Leahy Trust, David Cullen and Sinn Féin Health Spokesperson and Richard Bruton, FNGL TD for Dublin, Maine North. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.